now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing. The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey everybody, what's going on? Josh Wiggler here with another episode of the Better Call Saul podcast here on Post Show Recaps, answering listener feedback for Season 6, Episode 5, Black and Blue. And I am joined here by the the ruler of all your takes. Sorry, the slide rule. Oh, boy. Of, uh, man, I blew it again. I black and blew it again, Antonio Mazzaro. Yeah, as an acetone uh, slide ruler, uh, that's a retired judge who is mediating. Yes. Um, any anything else you want to correct for the record, Josh? So much that I have yet to bungle, uh, but shall <laughs> inevitably bungle today. <laughs> Are uh, you the great cornholio? Oh, you're saying bungle. <laughs> bungle, bungle, okay. bungle. That being said, nope, I will shut it down there. Uh, Antonio, we thought maybe we would not get to a feedback show this week. Surprise, we did it. <laughs> I want to doke so hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it. Uh, yeah. We're back. We got black and blue feedback. We've got a lot to get into here today as we are continuing to talk about the fifth episode of the final season of Better Call Saul. First and foremost, Antonio, just how you doing? How's everything going? I'm great. Uh, why do you think it's first and foremost? Like what happened to two and three most? Uh, well, they got. That's uh, how well I'm doing, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Seven, eight them as well. Ah, nice. Yeah, nice. seven, eight, seven, eight, eight nine. Well. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure about anything else. Yeah, that makes seven, sense. eight, two, and three. Seven's just well. eaten. 
Everybody. It's gluttony. That's one yes. of the seven, I think. Yes. Uh, so I do think that we probably need to see seven, uh, justice against seven by the end of Better Call Saul if we are yeah. able able to achieve one thing, Antonio. It is Don't justice send seven against to heaven. seven. Uh, yeah. I, can't, I can't believe it. Seven, eight, three. I thought three got out of the Ozarks, <laughs> but what are you going to do? Uh, Antonio, we're talking about black and blue. We've got listener feedback. They sent it in via the feedback hotline, bcs at postshowrecaps.com. And I feel bad talking about them like they're not in the room that's you you sent in feedback bcs at postshowrecaps.com and if you haven't sent in feedback before you're gonna do it next week that's really exciting as well of course we also got tweets about better call saul you can always tweet at us at round howard that's me at ac mazzaro that's antonio how many z's how many r's it's with two z's and one r at least for a limited time at least for today only you can also talk to us in the post show recaps patron discord when you sign up to become a patron of post show recaps by going to patreon.com slash post show recaps we had a bunch of people uh live talking uh saul as we mentioned earlier in the week all of the amc plus woes uh so if you ever need a place to commiserate on a monday night should your amc app not be working might i suggest patreon.com slash post show recaps where you will find fellow wandering souls in the poster recaps patron discord antonio we are a few days out from uh oh i think four days out to reference a breaking bad uh episode since uh since the airing of black and blue how's this one living with you it's living pretty well i'm i'm as i said earlier in the week i'm most curious about how it will live when we know what we know when we know what comes next right when we know that, um, and by the way, I'm out here right now in sunny Los Angeles. I might need some help with the AMC Plus, Josh. Oh, <laughs> we, we're going to have a real problem. Uh, oh, I'm going to I'm going to burn something down. All um, right, we'll talk offline. I'll, I'll, yeah. I, I've got thoughts. I've got okay, thoughts. Okay, okay, all right, yeah, fine. okay. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, I I am most curious as to how we will live with this one when we know what comes next because a lot of it of course is setting that up with lalo and Margaret, with uh with jimmy and kim's plan uh everything that's happening with howard all of that it just seems like prologue right now because we're in the thick of it and we don't know what they know always we've talked about that a lot in this podcast always fun to live with your characters and then get ahead of them on some parts of the story right uh and then maybe not on some others i know they were i think they were talking about that a little bit on the insider podcast this week uh and Jimmy and Kim being ahead of us on the plan is very fun. Uh, and it's sort of, like I said, a maxi version of where we were right before chicanery. So I, I'm still very nervous about what comes next. Uh, but having lived with this episode, watched it again, uh, I'm, I'm excited because I feel like we're setting things up in a very intriguing way. And Josh, there's only two episodes left in this first half season. Yes, the half season is nearly upon us. And I, I guess maybe should we, we... We've talked a bit about it along the way of like where we think the half might end. Now that it's looming, do you have a feeling of will the Howard stuff be resolved by the end of the half season? Or are we going to be going into the second half of the final season of Better Call Saul with just a few episodes left on the board? And we're still dealing with Jimmy and Kim's con on Howard. I I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I was wondering, do you think we'll kind of wrap up all of what we're dealing with in the present right now? Uh, by the end of this season, not just the Howard storyline, but Lalo and Gus as well. Uh, and if we wrap all of that up, does that then give us this back half to just go wild, 
to go into the Breaking Bad timeline, to go into the Gene timeline, to show us things we've never seen before. Like, it, did they front load the first half of the season with the plot that we're going to deal with here? And none of it will carry over. I'm fascinated by that possibility. I feel like two episodes left is maybe not quite enough time to wrap up everything that they have up in the air for me. This is part of, I think, why my initial reaction to this episode was like immaculately made as always. But I did like find myself checking the clock. It's like, okay, uh, we've got time for like kind of like two cool episodes in terms of the temperature in a row uh, following the the nacho of it all. So I, I am a little bit like, foot tappy here um but i also do very much recall uh you know certain certain phases of the final season of breaking bad maybe feeling similarly even in like the the final uh stretch of the first half of the final season of the show and then they find really clever and inventive ways of getting us to where we need to be for that final ride on breaking bad so far be it from me to to doubt uh, Gilgan and Gould and everybody else involved in crafting this final season. I'm, I think, an appropriate level of nervous. They have me exactly where I believe they want me. Uh, at least I hope so, Antonio. <laughs> I hope that this is where they want me to be because I am stressed. I am concerned that they don't have enough time. Uh, and I think that that is probably fair. I do think that this leads us nicely into a first bit of feedback that we got uh, from from this uh, from this episode from a longtime listener, a prolific feedbacker in his own right, not Spencer Y, but Andrew Yu. Andrew Yu had said a long time ago, I emailed in some feedback, probably complaining that the show was moving super slow. And you guys told me that the show is a slow burn. And this is why I didn't mind, actually even liked the opening scene. This isn't the show where they make efficient use of e- this is this isn't the show where they make efficient use out of each minute of airtime. They take their time, even if, even if it is the final season. Yeah, they could have done something else with those minutes, but that's not what the show is. And I appreciated uh, when that email came through. I always love hearing from Andrew Antonio, and yes. I appreciated when that email came through. I was like, ah, my medicine. <laughs> I taste it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, and it is very funny uh, to be fed that. Um, yeah. Very funny. And I think that it, we've look, we've podcasted about a lot of shows, right, where you have to trust the process and you have to sit back and enjoy. And I'm you're spending time still and I'm not criticizing you talking about a show that is in loss, that is very much about the characters, yep. very much about living in these moments and living in the score, the way the sh- show is beautifully shot, uh, the way that the, the sausage is made, the craft of Lost, much more than you live in the compelling plot of it, even though you're always up to discuss that. I don't think Better Call Saul is on that level, certainly. Uh, but there are these moments uh, where you have to just really appreciate the filmmaking of Better Call Saul, uh, the way that the storytelling is crafted, um, they do love a process montage, as we've talked about. We've seen it in Breaking Bad throughout. So these things are the hallmark of how this group of storytellers tells their stories. And occasionally what that means is you are going to revel in every second of these things. We are going to watch ants crawl over all over an ice cream cone uh, with some kind of alpine music playing in the background and wonder, like, why? what are we doing here? Right, right, uh, right. But 
there aren't other shows on TV that are really doing it like this. Uh, there are a couple, but the fact that they have the luxury to tell stories this way, that AMC supports them in doing it, and that this is the thing they like to do, it makes it such a unique show, such a special show. Uh, it's part of what makes Breaking Bad so compelling, that there were these different lanes that it could fill. We could have a cold open uh, with a song, a ballad about Heisenberg. Uh, we could have another cold open uh, that was something completely different. It's just, I really do like that about these shows. So I do understand when people People have complaints. This is the final season, uh, but they can't all be the nacho episode as we totally. talked about. They cannot all be that. We have to we have to be paced. We have to go back and forth. The nacho episode hits the way it hit uh, because it just didn't come from out of nowhere. Like we've been yeah. building that for several seasons. So, yes, uh, I, I like the medicine. I, too, like the medicine. Gus Spring has to be paced by the end of season four of Breaking Bad when he is uh, partially on the walls. Um, but yeah, I I do find myself in that place where we're not going to be here again. And I'm trying to really enjoy this space. This is something I like to remark upon when we're in the thick of weekly TV, especially when we are in the thick of a final season of weekly TV. It's like, this is only going to hit this way the one time. Uh, we're only going to have these days in between episodes to luxuriate in the mystery and the what the hell is going on and what is it that Jimmy and Kim know for so much time. Um, and I, I did this week find myself like falling into that trap a little bit of like, hurry up. Uh, and it's been it's been nice to kind of like get grounded back. Uh, Chuck McGill style, get grounded uh, of, uh, you know, getting back into this place of like, no, this is the process. This is part of the fun. So I don't know. I did want to just like give some voice to that side of things. Because I know that that's not uh, an isolated opinion of like, oh my gosh, is this is this going to be able to wrap everything up in time? And I think that, I don't know, uh, that tension between viewer and creator, this is part of the fun. And, you know, we will have uh, plenty of opportunities by the end of the summer to determine whether or not the pacing worked. Uh, but right now, I think this nervousness that I'm feeling this is the kind of anxiety I enjoy. Like this is the kind of stress, <laughs> like the, like the, like the gut bomby type of, um, you know, energetic stress that I, that I love as a consumer of these types of stories. Like, honestly, I have no idea where you're taking me, but I really love it when you drive. So just drive uh, is a, a place that I had to fight to get back to this week. But um, it's been, it's been rewarding to like kind of go through various stages with black and blue, not unlike getting into the ring opposite Howard Hamlin. <laughs> speaking of various stages watching that fight again howard lands some absolutely uh -huh. <laughs> body crunching blows to jimmy like uh -huh. so brutal and sure does yeah it's it's gonna take more than a pack of peas i think to take the sting off of that for sure yeah uh, i i completely agree with you of course uh as is often the case that this is the good anxiety this and and if you're gonna if you're gonna have a car that's being driven down the road by people and you're gonna have to be a passenger and just be along for the ride these are the people you want driving, I think. Or there's certainly in a group of very, very small group of people who you would trust, I think, to drive this car. The the Gilligan Breaking Bad Universe car is one that I think will hopefully confidently deliver a fantastic uh, final uh, stretch of episodes here for Better Call Saul. And I, I think the anxiety is real. I understand it. I understand that it's well-placed, but we have to remember who's driving and we have to remember how good they are taking this on an adventure. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited for sure. And yep. I, I don't think watching the episode again or living with that anymore really changed or, or moved that needle for me or reminded me of that in some way. Uh, I, I really just watching the episode again, I'm fascinated not just by like what they have covered, but what they haven't covered. Uh, some of the nacho stuff, um, some of the 
things we maybe highlighted as possible loose ends or what's going on with the plan, like what's being spoken and unspoken and what we don't know about. All that stuff is driving me. I don't, I don't need the anxiety or worry about will this work or will this land or is this not working? Like I'm still really captivated by what we've seen and what is to come. And it, it just we're still living in a world where anything is really possible. And I'm I believe they will go there and do some some more format or genre breaking things. We're going to get big answers that I hope will help us relens some of the Saul Goodman character in Breaking Bad, uh, relens some of the incidents or uh, things that happened in Breaking Bad. Like, I still think we can get there. And I do think that we're we're headed in that direction. Nothing that happened in this episode made me feel any differently about that. It's been really fun to watch people's reaction to this episode as well, not just, you know, living it in my own skin, but seeing a lot of the people who are out there in our community and who who listen to the podcast and watch the show reacting to the episode as well. I want to give shouts to Mikey Mike, uh, who had tweeted us on May 9th and said, sadly, I thought this was the weakest episode of the season. Last week felt like it was setting the table for big things. This one felt just a little bit like filler. And then today, a few days after that, uh, and on the other side of processing the episode a little bit more, uh, tweeted at you and I, Antonio, not just to say love the recap, uh, but said, I agree that even though this may have been the weakest episode of the season, it was, it's still really good TV, and your analysis made it really interesting as well. Uh, and I think that we we have a couple of other similar takes. This one I really liked. Um, from Jim. Jim had written and said, this was a great episode of TV. And if it ends up as the worst episode of the season, it is a good argument for rankings being arbitrary and reductive, uh, to, to quote a friend of the podcast, Antonio. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Jim said, I thought all of the burner adjacent stuff, including the slide rule and trophy creation was excellent and was well balanced by the Jimmy Kim and Howard storylines. Black and blue would not be at the bottom of my rankings for the season, but I would rather enjoy the ride than to try to rank them at this point anyway. Um, I think salient advice from from Jim that, uh, again, medicine uh, taken. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, good stuff. Good stuff. Oh, sure. Well, there they are. The consequences to my actions. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, Is that right? Is that I, I spent I did spend a not insignificant amount of time. And by that, I mean, maybe 10 minutes while I was cooking dinner, uh, thinking this week about would ranking all of the better call Saul episodes what would that produce like what are are, are there a clear top it would produce a 20 part <laughs> podcast series uh, that's not what I was four episodes at a time <laughs> but you don't know which episodes you're talking about heading into the episode of the podcast oh and then we would play sound clips from previous podcasts yes. where we were talking about yes. the episode in question we'd have to guess is what you're telling me yes I yes. got it. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. No, but I, I did think about that. Like uh, if it is black and blue, certainly not the worst episode of Better Call Saul by any stretch. Uh, and if people are saying it was the slowest or least eventful episode of this season uh, and as a result, therefore, the one they liked the least. I understand that. And rankings are a little bit arbitrary and reductive, and it feels unfair to compare one person's baby, whoever directed this episode, was it Melissa Bernstein? Yeah. Uh, directed this episode to another person's baby, whoever directed another episode. Uh, and that that I don't think is very fair uh, because the directors aren't in control of, you know, what stories they have the opportunity to tell that week. Um, and I, so I, on that level, it feels wrong uh, to take this, this level of uh, creativity and reduce it to that. But on another level, I, I'm just curious about like there used to be a website. I think it was at Kevin Fographic, maybe. Uh, and I think it may be have been rebranded where this guy had taken the IMDb user scores for all these episodes of television for all these various shows and graphed them. 
um, so that you could see whether a show gradually increased in quality, decreased. You could see the outliers, the lower numbers, the higher numbers. The IMDb users grade on a 10 scale. Um, so you could see like, oh, here's the three 9.9 episodes, the collective, the marketplace of a, ideas. A slide rule to calculate those numbers? No, I, I don't. Yeah, no, they do not. Uh, they do not. They use a regular ruler, I think. Um, yeah. yeah uh, but anyway, I, I'm always fascinated by that because I think it speaks to maybe the, the acceptance of a show, the broadening of the, the viewer base. Uh, things do change over time. People in, initially in response to an episode might hate it. And then people later on when they binge the show, they feel different because they haven't invested the way the people that were watching week to week all that stuff is fascinating to me and so ranking episodes in that way like if somebody watches this season and binges it later are they going to say oh black and blue no good no or are they going to go right from black and blue into what black and blue set up and be like oh black and blue very good yeah yeah it, it, the whole gus frank thing can you believe it was in that episode yeah we saw him pacing around the super lab and planting the gun he's insane because later on <laughs> that's the gun he shoots lala with right. He planned it all out he's crazy right like and that's where it was set up so those sorts of things can really change the way you look at an episode and that that always fascinates me yeah um, I had a, a thought, uh, as, uh, I'll save this thought for later, but you just, you raised something for me that I definitely want to, want to get into as we get deeper into the podcast. Uh, but I, I think it was, it was it, for me, I wanted to talk through some of, some of sure. that stuff and we did get some feedback from, from all of that. Antonio, I did not get a chance to listen to the insider podcast this week. I know you said that there was one really funny story that was, uh, told on the podcast. Do you have any gems to share from the insider this week? Vince Gilligan tells a, a I don't they, there was a discussion of why there was a toilet in the Saul Goodman office space. And then Vince Gilligan told a story about like touring an apartment uh, with a friend of his when they were younger and seeing a toilet just in there uh, and like in the middle of the room and it had been used. And the, 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 the realtor that was giving the tour just completely ignored. <laughs> <laughs> ignored it like oh do you see the wainscoting here oh the, the baseboards are very nice steps around the toilet you know does not even explain it at all does not address it in any way it's literally just the elephant toilet in the room um, oh gosh and it, he tells the story in a very funny way and in a little uh, bit of a crude and crass way that i'm not going to replicate or sure. do justice to here but uh that was what i texted you about but Overall, as always, always a fun party on the Insider Podcast. A lot of different voices involved in the rotating panel of guests. Uh, they, of course, talked a ton about the boxing. Uh, they talked a ton about uh, the Moncada uh, training element, Luis Moncada being involved. Yeah. Um, and they talked about just how people were standing, how Bob Odenkirk's training for nobody made him feel a certain way, and that there were. this is how an actual person with boxing training would hold their feet versus uh, an amateur who was just punching it out would do this with their feet. Uh, so they they're put it sounded like put a ton of work into that boxing scene. And that wasn't a boxing gym. They wanted to shoot from overhead. And any boxing gym they really wanted to work with uh, to look at, they, they couldn't fit the rig and everything they needed to shoot overhead. So they built it. They built that whole thing. Um, and when you hear little things like that, that's what the Insider Podcast more than anything does for me in my rant about rating things earlier, ranking things. It's, you hear about all, look, we know about it. We, we've watched enough and listened to enough uh, TV talk to know the incredible work that goes into these shows. You've been on set, Josh, at all different kinds of productions and seen behind the curtain on a lot of things. But 
unless you really think about the fact that they had to build the whole boxing ring and they had to do the fight choreography and they had to do all these things, you can lose the appreciation for what's totally. gone on there and what's gone into it. And the insider podcast really does always help reset that. Uh, and they, if there's a crazy sequence in a show, in an episode of Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, you can bet that they've broken it down there and talked about how difficult it was uh, from a lot of different perspectives. So no change uh, in that regard on the insider podcast this week. They, they delivered the goods again. You mentioned uh, crazy scenes, Antonio, in the in the boxing match. Let's talk about crazy feelings because this feedback comes our way from Kenny from upstate New York, which I oh, to understand we're not supposed to talk about upstate New York still. That moratorium has not. Yeah, there's yet. no statute of limitations on. No. Mur- I'm on a. Uh, on, on yep. Yep. yep on, Don't talk yep. about it. Don't talk about it. Anyway, Kenny's from there. Uh, and Kenny writes in uh, and says, I wanted to highlight the craziest feeling I got while watching episode five. I don't think I can remember ever feeling this way about a character, for lack of a better term, a foil to our main characters. But during the episode, I wanted Jimmy and Kim to just stop this whole Howard garbage. Love this. Howard is a tool. I don't think I would even like his character that much in real life. I don't know anything about him as far as family goes. It seems his life is easy, which could be part of why Jimmy is so bitter about him. But it felt uncomfortable when Kim told Jimmy, because you know what's coming next. I just felt dirty. I find it fascinating that Better Call Saul team got us to feel such a way with such little background into a character. I guess that's just another credit to them, and the show appears to be peaking at the right time where we see all shows eventually run out of steam in certain areas. So far, I am not seeing that here. Uh, so that is from from Kenny. And I, I loved that bit of feedback because I think you and I really like Howard Hamlin a lot. I think a lot of that is because we've either listened to or read interviews with Patrick Fabian, uh, where he's just so effusive about the character and so interesting about the character. Or for, in my case, I think a lot of that effusiveness just pops uh, even without knowing a ton about him, only hearing about his spouse very recently on the show. But it is like this mesmerizing thing where not dissimilar to the to the show that this one sprouts from, where in Breaking Bad, I think you're you're you start really feeling it with, um, you know, you're you're on Walter's side and you feel like people are holding him back. And as that show moves forward, you come to realize that like many of the people who you thought of as nincompoops uh, or obstacles in, in Walter's way are now the ones being bowled over and you're horrified for them. Uh, yep. And I feel like Better Call Saul has perhaps uh, done something very, very, very similar here with Howard Hamlin, who to me, and I don't know if I want to say this here or, or wait until uh, a relevant uh, couple of uh, questions come in here from the feedback line um but howard is starting to hit me as a very specific analog to a breaking bad character uh and which one is that in particular uh so so it is hank uh i am getting (laughs) i am getting uh you know very similar hank schrader vibes of like somebody who begins as a real obstacle like kind of like a friendly ish obstacle in the path of the protagonist um, somebody who, you know, DEA is the natural enemy of the drug maker, right? You know, so those two things are on complete opposite sides of the battlefield, and yet the the actual humans in those roles are connected by family. Um, in this case, uh, Jimmy and and uh, Howard are on total opposite sides of the battlefield. First, it's via Chuck, 
and their competing interests via Chuck, but in many ways they are also connected uh, by family, uh, by the Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill of it all. Um, and I am I am reminded of where we are at the final stretch of Breaking Bad, where the person who has been the central figure of the whole show, you are waiting with bated breath to see how this guy gets taken down. Uh, and you are now riding shotgun, or I guess you're in the back seat because Gomi's in shotgun, uh, with Hank and Gomi trying to bust this thing wide open, or sometimes Marie trying to bust this thing wide open, or sometimes even Jesse trying to bust this thing wide open. And now I think that we are in a similar spot where we want to see Howard, like, stop the bullets from entering his own body. Yeah, and, yeah. And yet, I feel like, to that same degree of inevitability of like, it was not going to work that way for Hank. Hank was not going to be the guy who fully takes down and ends this story for us. It shan't be Howard either. And I wonder what Howard's version of Tohajali looks like. Well, um, yeah. you mentioned that, but uh, you're not the only one, right? We had a lot of feedback about this. Yes. Uh, Fitzy, first off, uh, the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, uh, was uh, his concern for Howard and, and shared that uh, his thoughts. Howard wanting to know everyone Jimmy talks to for the next week yes. has me incredibly worried for Howard's yes. safety. What if he sees Jimmy interacting with Mike, someone from the Frings or the Salamanca crew? Could be very dangerous for Howard. It feels incredibly ominous. I'm scared for my guy, Howie. Uh, and then Jim had written in on a somewhat more substantial note. What do you think the odds are that Jimmy and Kim accidentally get Howard killed? Maybe Howard's P.I. comes across Lalo's trail and somehow Howard gets caught in the crossfire. Uh. Guilt over getting Howard murdered could send Kim reeling, split up Kim and Jimmy and push Jimmy's final transformation into Saul. Um, and then we also have this. uh we, we just a lot of people uh, are worried. Let's just put it this way. We have a lot of people that are worried about this. Um, and and I, I think that they're look, this is going all the way back uh, to the feedback from Kung Fu Kenny up there uh, when he was saying it's fascinating about how um, they, they got us to feel such a way with such little background into a character. Obviously, I, 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 I understand and agree with your Hank analog uh, to the way that you've described it. Uh, but we had a lot more background info on Hank, obviously. We knew he was just a, a guy who liked to make a Schrader brow, and his wife had some weird shoplifty tendencies, and uh, he was just a, a good, good time Charlie uh, when the DEA was around. Uh, but in the quiet times when he was alone, he really was a guy who suffered with a lot of anxiety, right. a lot of depression, uh, the stress of the job. We got a lot of Hank. In a lot of that is gestured at with Howard rather yes. than shown to us. Unfortunately, right. we do not have a scene of their minerals Cheryl, you know, no, which would I, be amazing. But no, that's what Lalo says to Marguerite. The minerals. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, had to be a call out. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yes, we don't have those moments of Howard and Cheryl uh, buying rocks off the Internet. Uh, but I think the similarity is there, especially in like, uh, look, Hank's a cop. And at the beginning of Breaking Bad, we want to like the cowboy. We want to like Walter White. We want to like someone who is becoming actualized and maybe doing the best version of their thing, even if it's a dark thing. That's why the show is kind of crazy to watch and why it exists in this world of the Tony Soprano antihero uh, and why where Walter White fits in that pantheon. But he begins this guy that, that we want to align with, I think, at least for me. Um, and Hank and everything that goes on there feels like his ops. They feel oppositional to him. And so we're naturally, I think, uh, 
generated or created to have issues with Hank, not want Hank to catch Walter, and how they thread the needle of flipping that scale in Breaking Bad is perhaps the most magic of the magic tricks in Breaking Bad, that by the end of season four, early season five, even if you were a Walter Ultra, like even if you were all the way on board with him, he has several moments throughout where people are jumping off. I watched Jane die. Him actually watching that happen is one for a lot of people, right? Uh, but there are more, and there are there are increasingly more throughout the series. When Walter goes a certain way, nature abhors a vacuum. There has to be some kind of opposition to him. And so when he's our negative energy in the show, Hank becomes the positive. Uh, and I think a little bit of that has happened with Jimmy and Kim in that Howard starts off the show as, as Kim's opposition. He's keeping her under his thumb. He's not respecting or rewarding her achievements and her talents. He's not making the best use of her or helping her maximize her potential. He calls it tough love. He thinks, I'm helping her maximize her potential by doing this to her. But in doing it, what he did really was push her away and maybe push her in this direction where she's coming back at him. And Jimmy and Kim are in such a way that I very much agree with Kenny, not so much about hating Howard. Uh, I haven't been on that train for a while. Uh, but in terms of feeling how Kenny feels about the show flipping the script on that a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on board with that as well. I don't feel good about what Jimmy and Kim are doing. I don't want them to succeed. I don't want it to end in death or dismemberment uh, sure, or yeah. some other horrible punishment for them. But uh, disbarment you know disbarment? And, yeah and, st and stuff like that and i feel like that that is the thing that like when i say like what is howard hamlin's version of tohajali uh you know what is his ozymandias look like um for for me i think that better call saul has obviously been a literally lethal show in the case of a few of our characters here as recently as nacho um but i think that there are other there are other, you know, uh, I believe it was uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts who challenged Prince Humperdinck to the pain. Your ears you keep and I'll tell you why. That sometimes, <laughs> you know, getting shot by a Nazi and being, you know, left in the desert, uh, you know, that there are versions of fate uh, where you are being railroaded that that may feel comparable to the person being railroaded. Uh, and I wonder what that's like for Howard, because I do feel like it's not going to be uh, a super happy ending for him. I think that let, he's positioned in a really dark way right now. Let me give you one of my favorite pieces of feedback that we got this week uh, from the upright man, which is very much on in this vein. Yeah. Uh, the upright man says, I think I figured out Jimmy and Kim's plan. They've already made cliff. Howard is acting erratically. The next step is to make Howard actually erratic. They've already gotten an answer his entire week. Now he's got someone following Jimmy. I think the only reason Jimmy and Kim want someone to impersonate the judge is so that it gets back to Howard that they are doing it. That way, Howard will accost the real judge, and he'll sound like a lunatic when he blames Jimmy for his actions. Cliff will then have to settle the case quickly because Howard's credibility with the judge will be completely ruined. The plan is to prey upon Howard's very real mental health issues to make everyone in his life doubt his sanity. I don't think Jimmy and Kim have fully thought through the potential repercussions of their actions. They're only looking at it as a career setback. But what happens when you ruin a depressed person's career and alienate them from their friends and loved ones? This is going to be rough. The sure is. Says. Yeah. Sure Gaslighting is. to the, like to the highest degree of what's going on with Howard. Uh, and I, I think, I think that that's probably more in 
Jimmy and Kim's play has always been about the subtlety of it. Uh, Kim talked about how it would have to be subtle and you have to hit these notes and you, your play was too obvious. You went at it all, all wrong. Um, this is a much better way to do it. And it sounds to me like that is exactly what they're going for. Like some kind of version where uh, Howard's status is tarnished. It's a career setback. It's not something that is going to get him disbarred. It's not something that's going to, 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 to put him in like mortal peril. It's a career setback. Well, what's a career setback? Uh, having his colleagues think that he's being erratic and that the case needs to settle because of his erratic behavior. That said, I'm I'm loving the fact that they're they're not necessarily on board with getting all of it right. Like they can't possibly know that Howard would be in that room with those Sandpiper people and just crush that speech. Like they don't know that that was going to happen, that Aaron would would blow it, that the, the people would be impatient to begin with. It, we're not seeing them like Jimmy and Kim working that angle of it at all touching the sandpiper people in any way yeah. trying to get them to, to to push for the settlement that's naturally happening uh but they don't know that howard did such an incredible job uh and certainly i think even to cliff main who does think that howard is using drugs he tells him oh yeah i heard my son make similar statements to me i know the truth of this uh so they're already preying on cliff main's real weaknesses and real pain points of course they're doing the same with howard like that is a huge part of what they're doing so that's a direction I think is more likely than the cartel direction. But man, that cartel direction, the possibility of it, uh, my jaw would be there's on the at, floor. There's at least a cartel right now, uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but you're not in like uh, the deep south, so you can't <laughs> pronounce it that way. Uh huh. There is a tail. There's a car. Oh, the whole cartel's tail. on. <laughs> I'm not allowed to do that. Get the car uh, I am from Kentucky. I'm allowed to do You that. could do it. I'm not yeah. going to go there. Uh, I was already there you, the other yeah, you week. You did go there. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh huh. Spencer Y uh, is on is hovering a similar vein right now as the upright man. Spencer says, as a person with legal know-how, can Antonio explain if Howard, with a sullied reputation, appearing in front of the fake sandpiper judge, who Spencer hopes is Kubi in disguise, would this be a necessity for Kim and Jimmy to close out the trial and obtain their piece of the payout? Impersonating the judge seems to be a key component to steering the trial's outcome because as Kim and Jimmy's puppet, he'll be spouting things that the real judge wouldn't say. But does soiling Howard's character go hand in hand with their plan? Do Kim and Jimmy want Howard to appear unhinged a la Chuck during the hearing? Or do they want him barred or banned from the event because he'll be regarded as a spiraling addict or a violent individual, depending on what Kim and Jimmy do to him next? I think it's more along the lines of what the upright man, what we we're just talking about, um, where it's making Howard appear erratic uh, and doing things that seem obvious on the surface. And it's like another prostitute, you know, just that the kind of thing that I would expect you to do. Uh, and but because they've already set this other element in play with Cliff Maine, um, what they don't what they can't possibly realize is like the effectiveness of Howard's ability to rally against that plan. And I do think that there is some element of the more you protest and the harder you rally against this, the guiltier you're going to look um, when the reality of the situation is they're painting him as an erratic person. I don't know that it's about a, a particular hearing or a showdown as we briefly talked about, uh, but I want to make clear from a process standpoint, because I think there was some confusion or there could be uh, this case is in mediation. 
which is something that it can be a good process or a bad process, depending on what end of it you're you're on and 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 how it's being used. Uh, mediation and personal disputes can be very effective uh, and can be a much better way than having someone pay some kind of uh, criminal cost for their actions, depending on what it was. Uh, restorative justice and uh, and that sort of the concepts of that that are in the law are very much built around this idea that we need to get the parties together and have them talk about it so that they can both understand the harm that was caused and work toward a solution. When it's mediation that comes from a large corporation forcing you as a consumer into this mediation, uh, that's because they think that their best chance to take an L, a real L, is if they have to go to a jury. So they would much rather try to get a an arbiter uh, or a mediator in this case, not an arbiter, uh, who in this case is a retired judge uh, to work with the mediation, to try to settle it. Uh, the judge is going to look for both parties and say, okay, there do appear to be some damages here. You do appear to have wronged them. Uh, maybe not as much as they're asking for. Can't we come to an agreement? The mediation is that process. It's trying to keep the case out of the trial calendar, out of the court, out of the, the whole hearing process uh, with regard to that, with regard to the actual civil trial. Um, this is more of a mediation process where they're trying to sort it out before they go nuclear and really start blowing each other up in court in that way. Um, so is there a possibility that they want him to blow up in some mediation session? Sure. I, I do think, though, it's more likely that they're trying to get him reputationally harmed uh, so that the mediator um, is looking at the situation and saying, what the hell is going on here? This is amateur hour on your end. You're supposed to be a, a reputable firm. I'm a reputable person. I'm a retired man of letters. So, like, look at all these accolades in the bar magazine, and you're doing this to me? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that the other shoe on that is Howard thinking that Jimmy and Kim have been screwing with the mediator, when in reality it'll be Mr. Acker with the mustache on, right? That's like, what you think, right? You I, think I'm uh, Mr. Acker is in the mix as a pot because you you sent me some screenshots of the of the of the of the judge who's being eyed, and yeah, there's definitely some Ackerisms for sure. Well, just thinking of the show, right? Like thinking of the things that they're doing and revisiting. Uh, Mr. Acker had a lot of fun with Jimmy McGill. Uh, playing a con on the big on the big party, right on the on the big people on these big law firms, and he hated these lawyers. He hated the the Sandpiper, not the Sandpiper, the Mesa Verde lawyers, the Kim and Schweikert uh, group. He couldn't stand them. He hated them. So he loves shitting on big lawyers and these people who like to tell people what to do. He had that huge speech to Kim about how you're one of those lawyers who try to screw over the little guy. Uh, and then, you know, you feel guilty and you pay down yeah. your guilt with whatever. So I, I think and, and not to mention, Jimmy got Acker a hell of a settlement with his stunt. Seventy five K and he kept his house. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, that guy got seventy five thousand dollars and what he wanted. Like he probably is a guy. We already know he's morally bent and he's willing to do whatever. Uh, it, it would fit. It would fit. The show is also like crawling through its own history. Yes. Right? That, you know, right, and, right. and, and that's so like. Part bringing acker back uh after that's what season four season yes. yeah you know so like to to bring that back into the mix 
um, you know, I think, I think would be a good poll. I think that that would be super fun. I really would like for it to be uh Kubi would be fun or even uh Colin Robinson, I think guy uh, would be great <laughs> to see, but I think in terms of like the, uh, you know, the up close magic trick, I think Everett Acker may tick a box that those other guys aren't going to quite tick. Uh, if Howard Hamlin has to stand before the dude, you know? So, uh, I think Acker's a good shout. I think that that'd be really, really fun to see him in an upcoming episode. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think it would be less likely that they would put Acker in some kind of judges robes and have him be the guy talking to Howard. Cause I just don't think that flies, but if you're doubling him as a body double and this show, this yep. season has been all about the doubles, uh, then you could do a thing where it's like Jimmy and Kim are spotted talking to the guy, uh, or, uh, there's some involvement with that guy that sets Howard off that he thinks, okay, it was one thing when you were coming after me, Jimmy, but now you're coming after my money and now you're coming after my clients. You know, right. like that could really set Howard off. So yep. there is that element of it for sure. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Felipe had written to us on the Discord. Yes, let's talk Felipe about this one. Had, Felipe had a really great comment, uh, as always, uh, said, I love how the conversation between Viola and Kim reflected the relationship Chuck and Kim had and was kind of the antithesis of it. Kim had so much respect for Chuck because of his viewpoint on the law, and now Viola has respect for Kim because she rejected those notions of Chuck. Um, how do you feel this relationship uh, between Kim and her former colleague, someone who she was being looked upon as a, a mentor figure. Um, how do you feel like that echoes Kim's uh, once upon a time views of Chuck McGill? I was so angry the second time I watched this scene for Kim's manipulation of poor Viola. Uh, great performance by the actress, by Keiko playing uh, Viola. Um, 
just uh, little subtle moments where she's coquettish almost or shy about uh, com comments from Kim. Kim is apologizing to her from the start. And you can tell Viola feels a little uncomfortable with this person who she respects deeply, apologizing to her about what happened at Schweikert, uh, especially because she feels like so honored uh, by Kim and honored to be in Kim's presence. Kim is really taking advantage of that. And it's, it's gross to me. Uh, but you mentioned earlier the, the family comment and how Hank was family on Breaking Bad. And so Howard is sort of an analog because family like this is the, the work, the work family, like this is a, a big deal. Um, the Howard Chuck connection cannot be overlooked in that way either to me, because he really was so close family wise to Jimmy and so close family wise to uh, what Jimmy wanted, like the relationship that Chuck and Howard had uh, seeing as peers, uh, even though Howard was younger than Chuck. Uh, Howard was a little bit mentored by Chuck, you know, this, uh, my father's business, my father's law partner's son or whatever, you know, there was a relationship there that had to do with family. It had to do with Chuck and Howard's dad. Um, and then Howard's dad's not around. So what is Chuck to Howard at that point? An older brother. Uh, th but in that way, I think that Howard and Chuck had that peer relationship where there was a mutual respect uh, that Chuck actually did respect Howard, um, that he saw him as a worthy person of being in business with. Jimmy never had that relationship. So I do think Jimmy's got a lot of residual, like you carried water for my brother in a way that because I didn't know you were doing it made me hate you. And now I hate you just because you did it. Uh, so there's a lot of that. But I do think there's a lot of jealousy too. And so I think that when you talk about like, Chuck McGill's presence in this final season of Better Call Saul and where he could pop up. We talked about how in Bagman, we'd love the space blanket at the end of the episode. We love the space blanket throughout, but having that be the note, the space blanket blowing through the desert, Jimmy leaves it behind, literally walking out of the desert, having shed that skin. Uh, that is still Chuck McGill's presence on the show. Yep. And Chuck is such a huge presence in the story of Better Call Saul for the first three seasons that we have to look for the Chuck notes here in the final season and find ways to bring that character and that presence back into the show. And I really like Felipe's comment for that reason, uh, because it, it echoes that relationship. I think that Felipe's very much right about that. Yep. Here's Viola, very young, working in the law. I don't know if she's a paralegal who wants to go to law school. Uh, I don't know if she's somebody who is in law school, what her relationship is, but certainly not entirely different uh, from Kim being in the mailroom at HHM and then having the relationship with the attorneys at HHM as she's working her way through law school in that she's looking up to them uh, and she's looking up to them because she has a lot of respect for them because of how they're treating their work and uh, how brilliant they are. Uh, and Viola, of course, does have the respect for Kim. But as Felipe points out, it's for a slightly different and maybe um, opposite reason. Uh, so I really, really like this uh, echoing and the reveries of Chuck McGill and that relationship that Kim had with Chuck specifically, because there are some really interesting scenes there. The flashback scene, uh, the Oscar pool uh, where Kim knows the case law and wants to question Chuck on it. You can just smell her eagerness. She's like so, so, so eager uh, to impress Chuck McGill in that scene. There's the great scene where Chuck is basically saying, can you make me coffee? And he realizes it sounds terrible. Like I'm treating you as a subordinate. I literally can't operate the machine because I'm crazy. Uh, so there is that great scene with them where Chuck sort of browbeats her in a way and talks to her about what Jimmy was like and taking from the till. And uh, he, he basically is like, now that I've put you in your place, uh, specifically vis-a-vis -vis Jimmy, 
I'm going to talk to Howard and get you back on board here, get you back in the good graces. And it's like, so now that you let me talk down to you about my brother, you're okay with me. Uh, so there was just a fascinating relationship with Chuck and Kim that I don't think we ever got enough. Of course, there's also the moment where she calls him out. Uh, and she really, she knows that he's right. She knows that he's right. I bet Jimmy switched the numbers. She knows that he's right. And she still reads him for filth because of the way he's treated Jimmy. Uh, and she gets right in that car afterward, basically punches Jimmy. Like, I know he's right about this. So I love the Kim Howard relationship. It's a quiet, subtle, like three or four scene relationship over the course of the show. Uh, and Viola and Kim only have three or four scenes over the course of the show together. Yeah. Um, there's one scene where Kim is, where Viola has asked, should I write this? And Kim says, no. Uh, and then Kim goes to the meeting and she comes out and says, okay, maybe you take a shot at it uh, because Kim's so particular and Kim wants to do things her way. Um, so it, it's a fascinating relationship. And I'm one I'm glad to see revisited here. And I think Felipe's comment, again, uh, just so on point with uh, why that scene is uncomfy, um, why that scene is interesting. Uh, and in my, in my regard, in my, in my view of the scene, like why it hit so negatively the second time around and the subtleties of the performance by the sure. actor, as I said, so good. Yeah. And I think obviously the, they are, um, the, you know, the, the writing on this show and even more so the filmmaking on this show, or at least just as much are really emphasizing, uh, you know, and, and creating situations where we are uh, falling, finding ourselves falling deeper and deeper into these feelings, this same sort of like crazy feeling that Kenny from upstate New York uh, spoke about. Um, this was a piece of, of craft that a lot of people called out for us. Shouts to both Aaron and Dan specifically, who wrote in about the time on the clock when Kim wakes up in the first scene that we get of Kim and Jimmy in black and blue. Uh, the time is 3.17, and the way that the digital clock is framed makes it look like 713 is a lie backwards. Uh, and so a lot of people were wondering what is the significance of the reflection of the word lie. And I think that there's probably a ton you could read into that and be right. Uh, yeah. You know, I think uh, they, they were are, lying on their backs in bed. They were lying on their backs. They are they are living a lie. Uh, you know, they uh, are going to end the series on the Long Island Expressway. You know, there uh, are a lot of different ways that, that you could that you could read it. But I, I just do feel like um, the way that this show is being made. And this is in conversation with my feelings from earlier in the week that we exercised earlier in this podcast of like, man. Who's doing it like this? You yeah, know, like exactly. Who's who's making you feel this shit with just like cinematic decisions? Uh, the way that Better Call Saul is right now. Uh, certainly not not many. Uh, and thank God it wasn't five eight zero zero eight o'clock because uh, I wouldn't want to talk about Come whatever on. that meant. Um, <laughs> Gosh, you're such a boob, Antonio. I did not notice the, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the three. Yeah. I noticed it was three seventeen. I did not notice the lie part. Uh, yeah, and. Absolutely does look like that. Uh, absolutely on purpose. Could have been any time. So, uh, so very much a shout out to the people who who clocked that, shall we say, Josh? Uh, very good. Very good on them. Speaking of clocking something, I wanted to uh, final note on the scene between Viola and Kim. Uh, Viola says, I have so much respect for you. You doing what you're doing. And Kim laughs and says, I'm just getting started. The way that she says it is kind of ominous. She coming for our jobs? That's what we say. Yeah, <laughs> it may be a, their their lunchtime yeah. may be over, but better call started. Saul is over. But Kim is just getting yeah. started. 
I'm a little more concerned about like, okay, if, if what, cause, cause what's really like the hidden agenda of Kim in that scene, her quiet role that no one else knows that she's playing in this game is that she is manipulating Viola. Uh, and if Viola says, I, I, you know, you're doing this incredible thing. Kim's laugh saying, I'm just getting started uh, from, I, I've listened to Ray Seahorn talk about Kim Wexler a ton. Uh, and she thinks that a lot of what Kim Wexler does is deal in subtext. And for me, the subtext is super rich in that scene because Kim is conning Viola and getting that name out of her and getting that information out of her. When Kim laughs and says, I'm just getting started, it hits so ominously to me subtextually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 317 or not. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things that are being hit, uh, this is one more thing on the Jimmy and Kim and Howard side of the storyline from Dan. Dan did not like the boxing match. Dan wanted a little more. Uh, Dan said, I was disappointed in the boxing match. This is the chance for them to express some real animus towards each other. Some escalating trash talking between them, culminating in something really meaningful or revealing just before the knockout could have made the scene more impactful. Uh, and I, I feel like I want to defend the boxing scene, both in terms of the craft, uh, which we talked about last time, like a lot of like the, the POV shots. There's just a, a lot of really compelling um, cinematography in the boxing scene. I think the showboatiness of Jimmy McGill and then the metatextual narrative that Bob Odenkirk at that moment in time has just like effectively gotten like trained by the CIA to make the movie nobody where he is John Wick effectively. Uh, (laughs) And he is supposed to be the guy getting his ass kicked by Patrick Fabian who needed a freaking Salamanca cousin to train him up. So like the narrative behind it, I think is, uh, is, is really, really great. But beyond that, I, I really, Antonio, I just love how true to character the boxing scene is. Um, that it's it's so true to Jimmy that the first thing is like, this is stupid. And then him being like, you know what? Fine, whatever. Let's do this, you idiot. I'm going to get yeah. in the ring with you. And then he just finds himself getting his ass kicked because he's constantly underestimating people. Uh, and, uh, you know, his, his showiness is just constantly getting him in trouble to the point that he's going to have to be vacuum cleaned to Omaha at some point in his life. And then with, um, with Howard, what I love about it is we have seen multiple times in the past, again, Howard Hamlin's Stan account over here, uh, you know, that we've seen so many times in the past, like the moments where like Howard, uh, you know, shut the door, have a seat, you know, to tell, to tell Kim why, um, you know, it's really Chuck who has been the person who's been the thorn in Jimmy's side uh, or, or Howard trying to break through to Jimmy and make good on his, um, not just his feelings about Chuck, but like, redeem his old feelings towards Jimmy back when he was Charlie Hustle in the mailroom and try to offer him a job at HHM. Um, there have been a lot of times where, where Howard has offered the olive branch. And now this time he is offering an olive branch of sorts, uh, but they are wearing boxing gloves and he knows that you can't exactly box someone with boxing glove wearing olive branches and expect the olive branches not to break. Uh, and so there is like a harshness to this scene as well from Howard that is also matched by this uh, this you know, this Zen quality about the guy that he would at least like to advertise to you. But I do think we have seen in practice at certain points uh, in the past. So as far as the boxing scene intersecting with who these two people are and the fact that um, uh, that it ends 
with this sort of note of uncertainty uh, of Howard walking away being like, I'd like to think that me uppercutting you has handled this. It probably has not. And him now enacting his next move. I actually think that this scene ends up being um, not just very funny and not just kind of a lark, but also really impactful for the characters. And as importantly to me, really, really true to who these two people are. I think that's very well put. And I do agree with you. Uh, I don't want to downplay what Dan said, because I think there's some value in the exercise of saying, what if this had become um, a different a different kind of plot moment where maybe Jimmy does let something spill? We saw Jimmy off his guard earlier in the season when he slipped and said Lalo, uh, and instead of uh, Salo, or instead of De Guzman uh, to the investigator and the attorney there in the hallway, uh, and he had to live with that moment. Like, what am I doing? I better be on my game. Uh, seeing him slip like that, knowing that he hasn't always been all in on the con, knowing that he didn't, he got suckered in by Howard and was regretting it afterward. He was regretting it because he got his ass kicked, but there's a world where he was regretting it because he was talking trash and something slipped. I don't think it's a, a terrible version of this, this show where that happens and, and the boxing scene is different because I do agree with you that the boxing scene is great how it is. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It's fun. Like I said, my big takeaway is that if you had told me what Better Call Saul was going to be when Breaking Bad aired and they were talking about doing a prequel, I would have thought it would have been full of scenes like this. Right, right, right. Fun scenes, comic scenes. Uh, Saul Goodman, he's boxing another lawyer. Like, that just seems like straight out of the pitch, right? Like, just seems like that's a kind of thing that could happen. Um, but to see it happen in this way, I, I liked it. I just, I, I'm, I'm sure they could have milked more out of it. But I think a lot of times what happens in these shows and, and any, any kind of product like this is they have a plan in mind, Jimmy and Kim's plan. They know where it's going. So yes, maybe there's a world where uh, there's a version of the story that Jimmy slips there and something bad happens as a result of him talking too much shit in this boxing ring. He didn't even want to be in. Uh, and maybe that changes the dynamic, but that maybe doesn't fit with what they ultimately in the writer's room broke out as the best version of this story. Uh, we don't need that kind of note because we don't want the story to end in that direction because we have a plan. They know what's coming next, Josh. So when they edit the boxing scene, it, it is with that in mind. When they write the boxing scene, it's with that in mind. When they break the story, it is in part leading to this conclusion. And so maybe stuff like that isn't in there. Would I, would I, would I have maybe liked to have seen some more trash talk instead of maybe a musical montage? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'd like to see a version of it. There's probably some pocket dialogue that they wrote, not knowing if it would make air or maybe not even intending for it to make air. There may have been some improv going on with the actors. I'd love to know some more about that. Um, and I think they talk a little bit about some of that stuff on the Insider Podcast. But uh, I'm I'm satisfied and and I, I really do like the version of the scene that we got. Uh, and I think for the, for the two of us, it was like, it starts off as like, these two guys aren't really professional boxers. No. And we're so used to seeing professional boxing looking stuff on film, uh, whether it's Raging Bull or The Fighter, whatever these, the boxing movie that you want to pick out are, uh, Boxing Helena, for example. Um, that's obviously not a boxing movie. Um, yeah, I, I think that. I like that aspect of it. I like that it's a little lo-fi, that these guys aren't great, uh, but it still ends up looking impactful and powerful, uh, and it looks like Jimmy got his ass kicked, and it looks like Howard is a better boxer. So for all those reasons, I think it's really well executed, and it could just be that their version of their story didn't fit with what Dan thinks the scene could have been. Uh, the scene could have been that, but it probably doesn't fit with what they want ultimately out of the story. Let's go to the other portion of this episode, Antonio. Let's okay. talk 
let's talk through uh, not the car tail, but the car tell side of the storyline. All things Gus, all things Lalo, all things slide rule. I apologize. Uh, many a call out from, from many listeners. Uh, props to Kel, to Jim. Guys, it's not a ruler. It's a slide rule. Yeah. It's, a, it's an uh, an abacus on steroids, according to Kel, which is awesome. Yeah, uh, you can do trigonometry on it, Kel said, which is fascinating. I, yeah. I was told there would be no math. That's why that's I to my whole thing. Yeah. You know, why do you think I do word stuff, folks? <laughs> well, when you say it like that, you, your your word stuff is so beautiful. <laughs> oh God, uh, too far behind say the mouth stuff. Yeah, too far behind the curtain. Uh, but yeah, just a, a couple of call outs on us talking through everything that was going on with with uh, with Werner there. I know that you and I were talking offline, Antonio, uh, and that you had developed a couple of thoughts. Uh, as it pertains to to Werner, I think that like the yeah. the the like the the poll quote for me from that was uh, Werner Ziegler, the Gail Bedecker of Better Call Saul, was kind of what I had. Uh, I would have uh, if I was the editor of your story, I would have given that uh, clickbaity headline. Nice. Well, yeah. In, in watching it again, what really stood out to me in Lalo's conversation with Marguerite is that. Um, she said Werner never talked about his work. Not that Werner never talked about this job. Right. That he never talked about his work and that he was secretive about his work. And he had his boys. He had the, the you know, Sina Youngs that were his crew. Uh, and that reminded me of Mike's crew, Mike's guys in Breaking Bad. Uh, or anytime somebody has a crew, Gus's guys, whoever it is, like it reminded me of a criminal crew. And I got to thinking how Werner came into the story. And it's that Gus had solicited, apparently, we don't know how, but he had identified multiple parties who could possibly help him build this secretive super lab who were probably willing to work for an extremely large amount of likely cash money uh, and, and to do this crazy job. These guys came in with open eyes. They knew they were working for something probably drug-related. Uh, but when the first guy comes into the story, this guy is like bragging about how he built a, a cartel tunnel. And that tell in and of itself is why Gus is like no go on this guy, among other reasons, because the guy's using tools. He's so confident. He's promising it'll be done so quickly. He's downplaying the difficulty of the job. Werner comes in with that slide rule and with his uh, manual tape measure, not a, uh, not a, a laser, and, and Werner wins, wins the day. But importantly, where did Gus find Werner? Like, right. how did he, because if he found the guy who already dug a cartel tunnel and he's looking for people who do criminal work, it sounds to me like that's what Werner was, that Werner and his crew did this kind of off the books engineering and architecture that can usually only be for nefarious purposes. Honestly, no cap, drug dealing, probably the best one of them uh yeah. how many secret dungeons were built you know what i mean like how many holding pens how many horrible things um did this group do uh in their other work or are they just always building secret drug labs um but if they're a crew that works off the books if they're a crew that does these sorts of things if lalo starts looking into them what is he going to find like is he going to find work of their other jobs is he going to find out what they typically do how much because of what they typically do did they actually know about the job that they were doing uh and Werner seems to be this, this nice guy, this likable guy, kind of quirky, right, uh, who gets sucked into this, who is 
going in with eyes wide open, knowing he's involved in some kind of criminal activity, much like Gail Bedecker, somebody that that Gus has solicited, but but seemingly a little bit innocent, a little babe in the woods quality, uh, a little like maybe he didn't get recognized in his field in the way that he wanted. His father was this brilliant architect or engineer who worked on the Sydney Opera House. Uh, so it's like if that was your father and you're not getting recognized, you're not living up to that that element of the of your work, uh, what do you do with yourself? And the fact that Werner didn't talk about his work at all, not just that job, made me realize he's doing criminal work all over the place. He is a nice guy. He's coming off as very likable, uh, very quirky and all that. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's in the game. Uh, he's in the game. He's part of this. And he goes in eyes wide open, knowing what he's doing is somehow off the books and unapproved and needs to be secretive. That's why they're locked up. That's why he's wearing a freaking bag on his head in the back of the car burping Josh, because he's yeah. stomach is upset. He's kind of a little bit weak like that. Like that's the, the, the way we're introduced to Werner. That's what lingers with me about him. I see a lot of Gale in him. And more importantly, I see a lot of criminal activity in him and his crew. And if Lalo starts pulling at the strings of that, I don't know what gets unraveled. Uh, I don't know how Gus found them, where he put out the alert, who the reference was. If we can get back to some of those points, we can really start unraveling the whole Fring thing. Uh, and and so I'm I'm fascinated by that. I'm definitely curious about it. Uh, but I I like to think about Werner's crew. Maybe that's a spinoff, Josh. Maybe I was, we see Werner and 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 I, the Sina Youngs. I I mean I was th- I was thinking about that the whole time and like I don't actually want to see that. You know uh, that that feels like lone gunman off of X Files, and I don't need that. Um, but it, what I do love about this show is like the best characters. Um, and not even always the best characters, sometimes like the really good characters or like the pretty good characters even uh, are just uh, created with such great suggestions of who else they could have been beyond what we got to see. Um, and I think everything that you're laying out about Werner uh, is so interesting. Like I'm edge of my seat listening to you talk about him. I appreciate um, that. That's you know, a- it, it's cool. It's just really cool to think about who are these people beyond the 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 scenes that we get the you know the, the little drips and drabs that we get to see important drips and drabs but not the full picture uh, yeah these are you know full picture people and they feel that way such a credit to the to the team that makes this well I mean wrap it all the way back to is it season two episode eight Better Call Saul I think it is right and uh, wrap it all the way back to that Peter Gold writes that episode just a little bit of dialogue that he fought for to keep in with the Lalo of it all just yep. introducing that as a thing. Just having that be a name that's in Saul Goodman's head, that he's got these clients, that that speaks to a greater story. And from this, the whole thing was birthed, right? And not just the character of Lalo, but the idea that that Saul Goodman could have been involved in the drug game in a way that that maybe scared him, maybe didn't. Like, uh, you rewatch Breaking Bad and the Saul scenes and thought, there's a world where rewatching those, the guy that Saul Goodman is, and how easily he is able to defeat that uh, Walt and Jesse scene in the desert, there's a possibility he sniffed it all out to begin with. So there are these little character moments throughout, these little notes uh, that speak to greater things and that leave the possibility of that. They may never follow up on it. It may never become anything, but it is fascinating when they introduce these things. Like the Werner line with the Sydney Opera House is a throwaway line at the time. I really doubt that they put that in there so that later they could have Mike be angry about it being there. I think the latter is there because the former happened and the former's not happening because of the latter. Uh, but maybe it is. Who knows? But that's a little note. And that little note says a lot about who Werner might be as a, as a person, that his father is probably one of the greatest people in that field in the world has achieved what our current uh, architecture and engineering views are one of the most incredible feats of. And 
here's that's your dad. So what are you going to do? I'm always fascinated by that. One of my favorite unspoken and really unexplored parts of Breaking Bad is Walter White's familial heritage. His mother is talked about, never seen. Uh, and his father isn't really discussed at all. That's because he's a bad son and didn't go and visit her when he said he was gonna. Yeah, instead, instead he made, made meth. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah. think about Walter White and his, I need to be recognized for how brilliant I am. And his, like, I will not be patronized and you will not do this to me and you will not. Uh, and his actualization in that way throughout Breaking Bad that has to speak to some kind of upbringing. I'm not going to blame it on the mother or the father or anything. I'm just going to say that that comes from somewhere that that comes from a long line. We're not going to do the many saints of Albuquerque and go all the way back and feed this. I mean, I'm sure if they wanted to, they could do a young Walter white, uh, young Walter coming to CBS next fall. Indeed. Um, but, but uh, I I'm fascinated by that. I'm thinking about Ozark. We found out we, we got all, I'm not going to spoil anything, but, one character in the in the, the main couple's family, we get we get to meet her dad, we get to meet her brother, find all about her family. We never hear jack shit about Marty Bird's family. And right. I don't know why that is, but that's a clear choice. Right. That's a clear choice. Uh, and so these choices that they make in these shows like this uh, to give us these little details or to not give them to us, they say a lot. They speak a lot. And I feel that way about Werner in a way that I never did before I really thought about that conversation with Lalo and Margarita a little bit there. Uh, and, and seeing in his office, there were some books missing. There were some books missing. Clearly that Gus's people had come in and cleaned out, but there were a lot of books that weren't missing. So are all those notes about other criminal jobs that he's done? Uh, we know, unfortunately, from the Breaking Bad story that this doesn't unravel all of Madrigal. It doesn't unravel all of Gus's empire. But there's a world where that is evidence of something, of Gus hiring a criminal to do a criminal thing. Uh, and it could come back to Gus in a different way. So I just really like thinking about all that stuff. It's, it's, it remains fascinating to me. We'll do a couple more here before we close out while we're while we're here in Germany. Let's talk about why we're not in Mexico. Uh, Spencer Y uh, has questions about this. Spencer okay. says, I'm in, I'm in agreement that Gus's Chekhov's gun in conjunction with Lalo's fact finding mission halfway across the world is setting up for Lalo to die at the Superlab site. This is all for producing a fist pump, a high five for Breaking Bad fans to realize that Walt and Jesse were unknowingly cooking meth over the remains of Lalo's body when they were working for Gus. Yes, it's a tidy way to tie up loose story elements and bridge two universes, but how did Detective Lalo not run across that good Samaritan mechanic who assisted Nacho during Rock and Hard Place and get evidence, evidence of that incriminating phone call from, Nacho's, uh, from Nacho to Mike and Gus? Was that mechanic just a red herring to throw off viewers? Shouldn't Lalo and Hector, by extension, be more motivated to tie Gus to the assassination attempt versus figuring out that Gus is setting up a side venture behind the cartel's back? And if the show doesn't cover any fallout from Nacho's death, would that be considered poor or lazy storytelling? Uh, so Spencer giving some voice to, cool, Lalo's in Germany, and this is very like suave, suspenseful stuff here that we get in black and blue. But wasn't it just simpler if he followed the line of who Nacho was last seen with? Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I, it, it was easier. I don't necessarily think it's bad writing to have Lalo be so crazy that instead of doing that or instead of seeing that, what we see instead is him showing up in Germany of all places. It's like, okay, you could have just kind of gone slightly away from Salamanca territory 
and found this mechanic and, and gotten the phone records and dealt with all that side of it and tied this right back to Fring. Instead, Lalo Sang Lamanka, you're so crazy that you went to Germany. Uh, and I, so I like it on that level. It's like, there's probably an easier way to crack this nut, uh, but you chose to do it with like a laser beam that you chose to build from the ground up for some reason. Uh, I like that. I, I, I think that's really funny considering Lalo is this guy that we've seen be so direct. We've seen him drive his car through another car to push it out of a parking lot, just to tail a guy that he has no knowledge of what the guy's even doing. Uh, when he deals with Mike for the first time. We've also seen him literally in that same episode or series uh, slithering through a ceiling and killing somebody just to see what Werner was looking at on the security tape when Mike was able to finesse that information out of the kid with a little bit of a story. Um, so Lalo has been a hammer and treated everything like a nail. And here's Lalo going all the way to Germany uh, because he's still kind of in on this Werner thing. I like that that's a moment of obsession especially like it as an Achilles heel, if you will, because yep. if it is a moment of obsession and he goes to Germany and guess what, Lalo, you put yourself out here. You went and did this and you did uncover the truth and it led you right back to the super lab. You got yourself undone here. The proof that you needed was just in phone records from a mechanic near your territory in Mexico that you probably could have with a sweep search tracked down. Uh, instead, you went to Germany, you actually found out the truth, and instead of having harder proof, you had to go investigate it at the site itself, and look what you did. You got shot. So I like it on that level for sure. It's like, okay, Lala went to Germany, and look what it got him. It got him killed. Yeah. Uh, that's complexity, right? You know, yes. like that's the the obsessiveness driving the character towards their doom uh, right. that drives so much of um, so many of the characters in this universe, uh, not the least of whom is Gus Fring. Sure. Uh, and this is the last little bit of feedback that we'll we'll do today. It actually came our way while we started recording the feedback okay. show, Antonio, which is I always my favorite, one. always my favorite thing. Shout out to Phoebe. Uh, Phoebe the fan, love Phoebe, and Phoebe wrote in uh, and said, I've seen a lot of people being very disappointed by Gus and his overall story in Better Call Saul, which is something I'm having a hard time understanding. In Breaking Bad, Gus was an impenetrable wall and almost an unstoppable force, but did we think he just walked out of the womb like that? Did he walk uh, out of the womb? <laughs> I would not doubt it. Uh, <laughs> of course the man is paranoid. This is the closest he's come to being discovered by his enemy up to this point. To me, all this shows is how much he learned by Breaking Bad and how, as he tells Walt, he never makes the same mistake twice. Except for with Hector, but nobody's perfect. Then Phoebe adds, also Giancarlo Esposito is creepily handsome and it kind of freaks me out how much this gentle chicken man uh, act would work on me. Is what Phoebe says, which I think is uh, really, really terrific. I too uh, would be susceptible to a gentle chicken man. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Listen. Uh, come uh, heralding the promise of free fried chicken, and I, I, yes. I'm there. Uh, yeah. you don't need much. Mr. Bo Jangles has done me in for sure. Indeed, uh, but I, I like that from Phoebe because I do feel like this continues to be a little bit of a thing, at least, Antonio. People being like, I don't know, that's not my Gus, uh, and I feel like uh, this is for sure my Gus. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very fascinated with where they're going, and I think that this teases up nicely, Antonio, for where we are going next on the show uh it is the uh penultimate episode of the first half of season this is six. very complicated i know uh it is called axe and grind if we want okay. to spend any time speculating on that <laughs> uh, uh it's gonna and, be a coffee shop and maybe uh, like one of those axe throwing businesses oh yeah i uh, yeah. love those uh and it is directed 
by none other than this uh, debonair chicken man himself, uh, the great Giancarlo Esposito. Um, so I am very curious to see um, the, the man behind Gus, behind the camera, uh, in this uh, upcoming role as director of an episode of Better Call Saul. It was already a, a rollicking success when uh, his fellow co-star Ray Seahorn, who, by the way, as we are recording this podcast, happy birthday, Ray Seahorn. Uh, is, oh, wow. Uh, it, is, uh, it is her special day, and we hope that it's been great. We just hope that you've been having a fantastic time. Birth, uh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, and for uh, Giancarlo, I hope it is uh, half as successful as her, uh, at least uh, half as successful as Ray Seahorn's uh, directorial debut on Better Call Saul, because if so, it's going to be memorable as hell. Uh, and with a name like Axe and Grind and where Gus Fring currently is, I want to watch um, I want to watch Giancarlo oh, no. Esposito, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, captain the chair on uh, an episode about his character who himself is so meticulously, um, you know, determined to be in control of everything. I just think that the meta narrative going into next week's episode is, uh, is, is really compelling to me. Um, I'm excited to find out what this one's all about. I love that. Same. Uh, maybe the axe is Acker. Uh, maybe Gus, maybe axe and grind will be uh, Gus chopping Lalo's body up with an axe, grinding it up and dusting it over the super lab. Uh Maybe that's a thing. I doubt it. Uh, I really doubt it. But uh, I, the and titles are fascinating to me. Uh, I don't know where the where they'll stop with this convention. Um, uh, Captain Cody had written in and said maybe they'll switch it to or in the second half. Yeah. I know people. I think that's not the first time we've we've gotten that feedback. I know we got it from Captain Cody this week. Uh, but there's a possibility of that. Uh, the you think they'll stuff- switch it to to or or maybe wheat? Because uh, the or on the board, <laughs> the numbers are bad. There's just yeah. no ore in this game. Uh, either way, we're building cities, baby. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I I think that would be good. I think that would be good. Uh, or sheep in the middle, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think ores would be good. Uh, I think ands would be good. Uh, I think that you could get into some real trouble. Right now, it's been like I've got an axe. To, it's been a lot of like these idioms or syllogisms. I don't even know if I use that word correctly there. Uh, but it's been like phrases, popular black and blue, axe and grind. It's these things that that we know these are these are terms that are out there. Wine and roses, like the days of wine and roses. That's a thing. We haven't done like Kim and disbarment, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> we haven't been that overt. It's yeah, been much like, more uh, symbolic. Yeah. Howard and dead. Yes, know? Howard and dead. <laughs> Howard and cartel. Uh, cartel. Sorry. Car and tail would be pretty car and good. tail. Yeah. Uh Mane and tail. Have you ever have you ever washed with mane and tail? Uh, No. It is a horse uh, shampoo that you can also use on humans. Oh, yeah. That's you learn thing. something new every yeah. time. So main, maybe we're going to get Maine and Tail. That would uh, be, be a good yeah. one. Yep. Davis and Maine and Tail. Davis and Maine and Tail. That's where yeah. we're headed. That's yes. where we're headed. I'm looking forward to it. Axe and Grind. The uh, axe uh, reminds me of the Salamancas. Uh, yeah, of course. Of the weapon with which they tried to, to murder Hank Schrader once upon a time. And the Grind, uh, certainly the job is a grind. I yeah. also think, though, of a uh, famous coffee fan, Gail Bedecker. Okay, uh, making know. the best coffee going. Yeah, yeah. You know, just grinding those it. beans. I love uh, it. So uh, let me let me say like if I've got one to shoot from the hip, uh, give me Gail Bedecker in episode six of the final season of Better Call Saul. Uh, would love to see that. Um, anything else from this one, Antonio? 
No, I feel I feel like we we had a lot of uh, interesting for an episode that uh, that doesn't do a ton with the plot. What it does is I think it opens up a lot of doors to speculate, to think about where the show is, where the show could be going and to think about really the themes and some of the deeper meaning. And I hope we've we've, uh, scratched some of that today. For sure. All right. So the aforementioned axe and grind is what is coming next to Better Call Saul. We'll be back next week with our recap, with our feedback show. Get that feedback in bcs at postshowrecaps.com. Once again, that's bcs at postshowrecaps.com. Or you can tweet at both of us at Round Howard. That's me at AC Mazzaro. That's Antonio with the same amount of Z's and R's as previously Mentioned, you could also tweet at Post Show Recaps. That's our Twitter account for Post Show Recaps. You can talk to us in the Post Show Recaps patron Discord uh, by signing up to become a patron of this podcast and supporting the creation of this podcast and all the others that you hear on the Post Show Recaps network by signing up at patreon.com slash Recaps at any level you are able to. We certainly greatly appreciate that. We also tremendously appreciate your star ratings, your reviews here on this Better Call Saul podcast. Uh, as we've been having so much fun connecting with so many different people out there uh, who are who are engaging the show and enjoying this show uh, and getting some value out of the podcast as well means the world to both of us. Um, all right, Antonio, I think that's all I've got on Black and Blue. Uh, really looking forward to, I don't know about looking forward to, I'm nervous, I'm stressed. I'm stressed to find out what the axe is all about specifically. Me too. But the axe is Gail Bedecker, right? So there you go. That's what oh. we're going to have. Well, Axe was actually uh, somebody else, the, the Damian Lewis character. Fair enough. Yeah, um, billions yeah. of ways I got that wrong. Axe and Wags would be the episode that you're looking for here. It <laughs> okay. would also be pretty great. All right. Uh, all right, folks. We'll be back next week with more Better Call Saul. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.